This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the Equalizer Podcast, match day two of the NWSL Challenge Cup. We are halfway through. Reminder that we are recording segment one in between games. So segment two coming up with rain and sky blue uh, is something that we don't know the result of as we record segment one. Dan Lawletta here with Ray Curran of Equalizer Soccer. And Ray, what an opener on this match day two, the Dash and the Royals. I think a lot of people thought these were the two weakest teams in the league for this tournament. I'm not sure that I saw anything to disprove that, but it was quite an exciting game. 3-3 and a seesaw 3-3, a whole lot going on. So what are your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was nice to, you know, concentrate on where, you know, with all the the time and all the stuff that's happened to actually, you know, be able to focus on a soccer match for two hours and argue things and watch some exciting stuff was actually really cool. Um, And I think it was a good, display of what the league can be. I think there was a lot of rust for obvious reasons on both sides. And I think that played a big part in some of the goals, but it was certainly were you not entertained as they'd say in this game, certainly was an entertaining 90 minutes of soccer. Yeah, it was. And what struck me was that they're doing hydration breaks for every half of this entire tournament, regardless of the temperature, I guess, as a nod to players, maybe not being fully fit And I actually thought, because I would like to see, I mean, we've had, you and I have had discussions about hydration breaks for years. I would like to see the coaches not be allowed to address the team during the hydration breaks. But I thought the game changed both times at the hydration break. I thought the Royals were good up until the first one and after the second one, and the Dash were far superior between the hydration breaks. Yeah, It's interesting that the EPL, English Premier League, also has hydration breaks because it's summer there, which is interesting because to England, 85 degrees is this big heat wave. Yeah. But uh, but they have the, the interesting thing is they have the hydration break at the midway point of the half, whereas the NWSL and American leagues, when they've done it, have done it at the half-hour mark. So when the second hydration break came, there's about 15 minutes. So I think a lot of it was the substitutions as well with the five subs. I think... Um, you know, Houston made a lot of them, and they put some young players in. I think that hurt them in the end. But then, you know, and that's a discussion, too. It seems like Utah, you know, Craig Harrington's using a lot of this as an experimental um, thing for next year as well, which is a tough call because you always say that as a coach, and then the game starts, and you're like, well, I want to win now. So, But I think they responded, you know, as you said, well to both after both hydration breaks. All right, let's talk about those subs a little bit because I thought that Rachel Daly – was holding on to her groin when she came off for the hydration break, went right to the seat, sat down, and they didn't come back in the game. I haven't seen anything about this, but I really hope that Rachel Daly is okay after that because I thought Daly and Christy Mewis were super from about minute 30 to a, to a, at that time when Daly came out. Mewis maybe got a little bit tired, was not quite as visible in the last quarter hour of the game, but I thought Mewis and Daly controlled 
this game during the best stretches for Utah, and it would be a shame if Daly can't go anymore. Yeah, and and they're not going to risk anything in a tournament like this, especially hopefully it's a minor thing, like you said, and we don't know what it is. It could have been she was out of gas, you know, and just needed a sub at that point. So we'll have to see, you know, how it pans out. I haven't heard anything since then, so we'll have to see. I'm sure we'll know soon enough. And I think, you know, it's an interesting lineup Houston had. We They had a few injuries last year in trying to, you know, play Veronica Latsko in a in an out, a wide position along with Katie Stengel was interesting, but Rachel Daly has been, you know, one of the most dangerous strikers this side of Sam Kerr the last few years in the NWSL, and, you know, she shows it almost every time out there, you know, and she showed it again today. I think with Daly, what I believe is missing from her game, um, and I'm not saying she's as good as Sam Kerr, but Sam Kerr, you know, you can think of four or five games without even going too deep in the memory bank where she literally took the game over for a stretch of 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an entire half. And I feel like Daly, as talented as she is and as good a goal scorer as she can be, doesn't take over games. But I did think she was kind of in takeover the game mode in this one. She had the two goals. There was another play where Mewis had the ball and I thought should have passed it over to Daly, but instead took on, I think, Corsi and fired the shot high. And then there was the goal that didn't count, which we'll get to. But, you know, regardless of whether it counted, whether you believe it counted, she was on top of that, you know, took the ball away from Abby Smith and put it in the back of the net. Right. I think it's tough. You know, it's not basketball where you can get that player the ball per se. You know, it's tough as in soccer when you get isolated. And I think Houston, one of the problems they had is they isolated daily too much. And also on the other end, I think, you know, with Amy Rodriguez, I think that's, you know, not to switch gears, but I think that's one of the reasons why um, Craig Harrington came out to 3-5-2 is I think the same thing happened to Amy Rodriguez a lot, and she was not effective because she was isolated. I think, you know, a coach wants to get her another a partner, you know, which he did in this in this match, and I think it worked pretty well. The, the problem with going at 3-5-2 is now you only have three in the back, and I think it showed at the other end. So the way Utah played it, it's a fun formation to watch but because you're giving up a lot of defense and adding a lot of people going forward. Fun formation, the 3-5-2, but I didn't think they really had the bright personnel for the formation that they played. Maybe they had it all set up with Kelly O'Hara as one of the wingbacks. I don't know how close to the match day it came with O'Hara before they found out she was hurt. But I understand why they did it, but I didn't love the personnel that they had, and I thought eventually they got exposed in it. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I think Craig Harrington is playing a little bit for next year because Kristen Press would would obviously slide in next to A-Rod as well. So I think that's part of it. But is he going to continue with that? The whole rest obviously not going to have either of those people. He might have Kelly O'Hara back, but he's not going to have Kristen Press the rest of the tournament. So we'll see. I don't think um, Gunny Onstadter has had you know some success in the NWSL. I don't think she was comfortable in that position as a center back and a three back. And I think she got exposed a couple times. And I think... I mean, and I think they saw that, too. I think, you know, I'm sure Craig Harrington sees that as well. And, you know, we'll see how he adjusts the next three games and going into when the game's, you know, the knockout game. Well, it's not a deep team. O'Hara's got the injury. Press opted out. Desiree Scott left the team for personal reasons and announced officially earlier in the day that she's out for the rest of the tournament. So that is not a team that can really withstand a lot of that. And I think it's, you know, the loss of Sauerbrunn in the back, you know, there was a lot of talk about Elizabeth Ball, you know, and how much he's developed in Portland. But I, I don't know. I thought Elizabeth Ball was just kind of average today. And Corsi, who has – I find Corsi to be inconsistent, but she got beat so badly on that Rachel Daly header on the corner kick 
early in the second half. She just got pushed back completely and let Daly go up for what was virtually a free header in the space the course he was in. Yeah, that seemed to be more of a, a tactical mess up where they were chasing uh, Haley Hansen around and the rest were in zonal and I don't. It seemed more of a setup uh, mistake to me. And, but you know, who knows? I thought Corsi had a pretty good match for where she was for most of it, except for the you know, I guess you could say that any defender except for the mistakes. But right. that's the way it goes. All right, a couple of quick things to talk about. Did you see the tweeted photo of the wall set up on the Aviro free kick? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I sent that right to my high school team immediately, to the defenders and the goalkeeper. But I saw somebody else come online and say that that's the way it's taught at high levels when the ball is directly in the middle like that, which I find strange, but I would be, you know, open to somebody correcting me on that to see why. So I don't know whether at high levels they, they teach that now, but it seemed obvious that they should have put the wall in front of the near post. You know, and re- I guess in retrospect, anything's obvious, but yeah, but... It's, uh, I, mean, I think you know it was it was a, it seemed like it was a mistake, but maybe it wasn't. It's hard to tell on one picture exactly what the angle was, but when you saw her take it, I, I tweeted, you don't see a much better free kick taken than that. And regardless of whether the wall was set up right or not, it was still an extraordinarily taken kick. But it certainly looks like there was space that you because the I thought the idea of the wall and you know you're more of on the coaching level than I am but I thought the idea of the wall was to cover where the keeper can't and in this case it went around the wall and Campbell made a pretty reasonable play on it and didn't have any shot at it right and it creates a dilemma when it's directly in the middle of the field is which way do you go so I I always teach that the goalie should pick one side the keeper should pick one side and then you know the the wall goes on the other but I mean I'd be willing I, I also had a nitpick as uh, uh, there's been a rule change this year where you cannot kick the ball into your own hand and have it be a handling violation. It's one of the IFAB rule changes, and it looked like it, Megan Oyster actually deflected it up into her own hand. So I'm not sure that should have been a handball. I, I, we didn't really get many replays on that one, but that's a rule change that's going to be a little bit controversial. And in that case, it seemed like they might have had a gripe that uh, – you know, that shouldn't have been a handle, handling violation, but it is what saw that, yeah, I saw that on Twitter, but haven't watched it again since then. I also well, thought it was in replay. the... CBS did not get a replay of that. Instance. I also thought it happened in the box. I thought it was a penalty. Yeah, I have to look at it again, too. If it's on the line, it should be a penalty. So, I'd, you know, you have to look at it again. Again, no replays makes it tough. You know, and Jane Campbell stops like 60% of penalties, so maybe they have been better off. They might have been better off. Defensively. But obviously the play that everyone's talking about is the the Rachel Daly play when she challenged Abby Smith coming, you know, with ball in hand, coming up, you know, drop kicking it right at the top of the 18. I spoke to a fairly high level person at the professional referees organization who told me absolutely correct call. Abby Smith gets that space. It doesn't matter that Daly's outside the box. It doesn't matter that the ball hit the ground. Abby Smith gets to release it cleanly before anybody challenges it. So, you know, again, that doesn't mean that because right. one high-level person says that, everybody says it. I know there's a lot of disparate opinions. I know you've also got a little experience in this level, so what did you think of that play? Yeah, as an amateur ref, I'm actually looking at my ref shirts, which I haven't been used in a while, sadly. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I agree uh, completely with that. Right? So the, the rule states, uh, Rule 12, indirect creek kick, if you prevent the goalkeeper from releasing the ball from the hands or kicks or attempts to kick the ball when the goalkeeper is in the process of releasing it. Um, and usually you give the goalkeeper the benefit of the doubt on that. The goalkeeper can also bounce it, and that doesn't count as relinquishing the ball. It creates an interesting one when they do a drop kick like that, but usually that's interpreted as 
still in the possession of the ball. And so it seemed like a pretty easy call to me. I mean, when you look at if you're going to nitpick the law, as people have, and say, well, she released it, well, technically, but usually the goalkeeper gets the benefit of the doubt. Somebody else pointed out to me, like, well, how far do they have to go back? I'm like, well, you know, as a ref, like, you look at a normal punt, if she shanks it or if she, you know, hits it sideways, then obviously you can go get it. But if you block the natural punt, which Daly clearly did, usually you get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I asked. I don't know why wouldn't you just like chase the goalie every time and stand in front of them if that was the case. Exactly, and I asked too, how much space do they need? And the response I got was, it's not defined in the laws, but you can't interfere with it. And so that I guess makes it a judgment call, but I don't know how you could watch that particular play and think that she didn't interfere. Right. right? Like if if you can't interfere, she interfered. If you can't right. interfere, that's a different story. I agree. Um, people don't such is life got to mention Shiara King first round pick she'll be first player from the 2020 draft to score a goal um, kind of slipped in behind the dash defense and hit the equalizer so I you know I was excited to see what she could do first NC State draft pick in the history of the NWSL so uh, a little shout out to Shiara King yep. for her performance and she's a fantastic story somebody who didn't play a high level club soccer coming through and seems to have a great personality. I think a, a definitely a marketable player for the league eventually. I got to assume that she's going to play more as well going forward in this tournament. You know, and it, it's somebody that one of the shames of not having a full season, obviously, is for a player like that to, to grow over the course. You know, but you know, it is what it is. Just like a lot of these things. Oh, and when Orlando dropped out, which nobody wanted, but now every team gets through. So you do have these four games where you know you're going to get a fifth game. So you can experiment maybe a little bit more than you would have because you don't have to worry about the embarrassment of being the one team that doesn't make it out of the preliminary stage. Um, I, Ray, I talked about Mewis. I was very impressed with her for a long stretch. Am I overstating that? No, I think she's been pretty solid, you know, most of her career in that role where she can play make. Even when she was a Boston breaker, you and I, you know, she for a while there was one of the best playmakers in the league. She's kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, but I think she can be underrated in that way. And her distribution is, you know, very good in her running at defenses. You know, I, I don't think she's a great defensive player, but that's not what they asked her to do. It's interesting what Houston had. They had her and Shea Groom, who was in an, a little bit of a different role and kind of left Hanson by herself to defend. And I thought she did okay at that, too. I think one weakness Houston is going to have with that back four is speed. I don't think, you know, Megan Oyster or Katie Naughton gives them much speed and it leaves them vulnerable as you saw a couple times with A-Rod getting behind him, but I think that's going to be their problem. I think they try to combat that by playing deep, but there's only, you know, only so deep that you can play. So we'll see how Houston goes forward with that going through this tournament too. And one other thing about Mewis is that if you take away that season in Kansas City 2013 when they made the playoffs, she has to have like the worst win-loss record by player of anybody in the league. She was on those two really bad Boston teams. She went to Washington, and they were poor. She was in Houston. They haven't made the playoffs, and she's been there. So that has to be a tough thing, especially for someone that plays where Mewis does, where you don't really generate a lot of statistics. So that's got to be a tough thing. I think we have lost Ray, and I think it's a good time to wrap the opening segment. Dash and Royals 3-3 draw. To begin match day two, I'll be back with John Halloran to recap the night match, Sky Blue FC and O.L. Rain in their first match with the new name. Thank you for listening, or welcome, or don't turn, don't turn away yet, because you are listening to the Equalizer podcast. 
Hey everybody, Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. Thank you for listening to The Equalizer podcast. Wanted to let you know that we also have another podcast that I host called Kicking Back. Kicking Back is a one-on-one style interview type podcast where we talk to players and coaches from the women's game and get to know them a little bit better and talk about some of the moments that define their careers. So after you're done listening to this podcast, which please finish this one first, Head over, check out Kicking Back. Make sure you don't miss it. We've got interviews with some of the top personalities in the game right now and many names that you know from previous years in women's soccer and many more interviews to come. So check us out on any platform. The one you're listening to right now also has Kicking Back. And we'll get you back to the Equalizer podcast now. Back for the second half of Match Day 2 Equalizer podcast. It's the NWSL Challenge Cup. And a reminder to please check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And a reminder also, if you like what you hear, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. I'll bring in John Halloran after the nightcap on Match Day 2, Sky Blue 0, Rain FC 0. And uh, this is not one for the vault that be showing at the end of the season instead of showing playoff games. This is one for the soccer's kind of boring crowd. Uh, I guess just two teams with a lot of personnel changes. And I mean, I don't think any, they didn't play poorly, but there was a, not a lot of excitement in this game. Maybe it was a come down from the earlier game. I don't know. But this, I struggled to keep my attention for 90 minutes in this one. Yeah, it wasn't very exciting, was it? Um, there were a few chances, but uh, nothing that, that seemed overly dangerous. I guess uh, maybe kind of looking in the last 10 minutes or so, Sheridan had to make a, a couple of big saves to keep it 0-0. Yeah, one so, on herself. And she yeah. Cleared it into, I, I don't know, who, who did she clear it into there and had to run it down? I think that was Jody Taylor. Okay. Or Taylor yeah. had run onto it, but right. um, Jasmine Spencer got in. That's the story. And yep. great to see Jasmine Spencer back. But isn't that the story of Jasmine Spencer's career? Like the easier the chance, the less likely it gets finished. Uh, you know, I don't know about that, but <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, Sheridan obviously saved that one, and then uh, she had saved the one Jenkins had picked off a pass maybe five minutes earlier, and the shot deflected. It looked like it took kind of a weird hook. And oh, yeah, Sheridan, that was off a defender, I think. Right? Yeah, so yep. Sheridan made a nice grab on that one, too. Yeah, and I liked Evelyn Vienne's energy when she came in up top. She had the one time where she kind of cut toward the center of the box, maybe took a heavy touch. I thought Naho Kawasumi looked better than I've seen her look in a while. I've, you know, I've wondered if, may, you know, if her best days are in the past. I thought she looked pretty good both sides of the ball. Um how about Alana Cook? I know you, you followed her career a bit. What are your Alana Cook thoughts? I thought she, she played fine. I didn't really notice a lot out of her today, which is usually what you, you want out of your, your center back. You know, one thing about her, though, that I've, uh, I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately is I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, that her contract extension was for three years for when she goes back overseas, which I was really surprised by. Because that's a player, obviously, we know is trying to push into the national team. And usually players that are overseas aren't available for a lot of the camps. And so I was just kind of surprised by that. 
you know, you wonder if there's some sort of opt out or maybe new coach, new philosophy for stuff like maybe, that. Maybe, but you know, we, we know that even when they take their, their breaks, um, or, or play games and have camps and international breaks, a lot of times they're pulling players a couple days earlier, sending them back a couple days late. So that's right, obviously the, not going to fly with a European squad. Right. They don't even always let players out for, you know, like if you look at the, on the men's side, they don't always let players out when there are camps that don't fall in the, right. in the international window. And, uh, you know, that's a big gripe for the coaches in the NWSL. They're kind of like middle management there, right? Cause yeah, they want to say, and they have a right to say, you can't go, but who's going to say that and cost your player maybe a chance at being on the national team. Right. Um, you mentioned Kawasumi too earlier, and I, I thought um, I thought she did have a couple of nice moments because we know that they had that uh, she had an opportunity right before the half where Sky Blue had pulled Steph Cox narrow, and then I think it was Flores overlapped on that left side, yep, and then played it back, and I think Barnes Lulu Barnes had recovered back into the play and and blocked it, and then there was another one where. Uh, in the 70th minute where Kawasumi got down the line from a pass from, from Sarah Waldmo and um, ended up playing it in to Eddie, who had a shot that ended up going right at Casey Murphy, but it created an opportunity. Yeah, I think she, Eddie could have maybe done a little bit better with that shot. Yeah, um, Made it a fairly easy save for Murphy. I was pondering that this could be four or five years down the road, this goalkeeper matchup. Uh, Sheridan and Murphy. That could be they could be big U.S. Canada matches if you believe that those exist yeah. uh, with with that goalkeeping tandem. A lot of people think Sheridan should be Canada's number one keeper right now. She's just, very good. I mean, that's look, we are very blessed in the NWSL to watch some of the best keepers out there. Yeah, as always have been. And I think uh, what I'm really impressed about with Sheridan is that she's gotten a lot better since she's been in the league. And if you look at that team and you know, two years ago, the team that didn't win until the last game of the season. I, mean, it's, I guess it's easy to get better stopping shots when that's all you're doing is facing shots, but it's not easy to get better when you're not playing behind a good team. So I give her a lot of credit. I think she's tactically better, and she's always been a very good shot stopper. I think she's among the best in the league, and that says a lot because, as you said, there's a lot of really good keepers in, in the NWSL right now. Yeah. I thought too on the defensive side for Sky Blue that Lewandowski had a good at the first half. I didn't notice her as much in the second half, but um, she had two really good reads early on in the game: one to deny Jenkins and one to deny uh, Taylor. Now, speaking of Sky Blue in the back, uh, somebody who I haven't heard from in a long time um, today just randomly threw in: Why is Midge Purse playing at right back? And I've been on the I don't want to see Purse and Amani Dorsey, who didn't play tonight. Um, I don't want to see those two as the outside backs because I get it. They're quick, and they're both okay defenders, but they're both so good and dynamic at what they can do farther up the field. And I thought Purse played pretty well tonight, but they've got no Carly Lloyd in this tournament. Mallory Pugh isn't there. I mean, who, where are these goals coming from? It feels like they've got their best goal scorer playing right back, and I think they've got enough depth where they can get away without doing that. Yeah, they might. Um, you know, we we have, have had this conversation before. This is kind of an interesting matchup when you look at the right back or forward because in this game, 
not only did you have purse, but Taylor Smith has been in that boat. We know Sofia Huerta has been in that boat. Uh, they were, they were all part of this, part of this matchup tonight. Um, and a lot of these players have gotten moved around, not only at the club level, but the international level as well. Um, yeah, I don't know where she should have played. I think in the long term, it's probably different because if you head into this tournament with Mallory Pugh and Carly Lloyd, you have a little bit more offensive firepower. But I think you're right, considering the situation just today, they didn't seem to have uh, a lot going for them up top. And uh, they might have been able to get away with, with playing somebody else in the back. And, you know, I actually messaged you during the game and, you know, mentioned that. Sky Blue had a couple of solid defenders that were on the bench, so uh, it does seem like they had a little bit of depth there that maybe they didn't use. Yeah, I mean, I would I would personally much rather see Purse the Purse Dorsey combo on the wide parts of the midfield, or if you were going to play a three front and play them. I mean, those two with Carly in between them, or maybe Carly a little bit withdrawn. Obviously, we're as Paul Riley would say, that's pie in the sky stuff because Carly Lloyd's not playing this tournament. But then I think you have the makings of a really dynamic. Attack and I didn't really see a dynamic attack like you said in this one. And didn't you watch this game? Did it cross your mind at any point thinking if Jess Fishlock were healthy, that she could just come tear this whole game up with just the energy she plays with and how much ground she covers? It seemed like this game needed something, somebody to come in there and and unlock it. And in the middle of the field too, there was a lot of talent on the field tonight, but I don't really remember a lot of combinations that were particularly impressive or particularly good at breaking down a back line. Most of what I saw offensively in terms of combination play was happening out wide. You know, we saw the first maybe 30 minutes or so of the game, that really nice combination between McNabb and Jenkins. Yeah. McNabb has tons of space down there too. Right. And everything was happening out wide. There wasn't a lot being built through the middle. I thought that, um, Quinn in particular wasn't involved in that deep lying number six position. And um, I'm not really sure Ali Long did a lot in the game. So it just seemed to, there weren't those type of combinations from either team in their, in their center players. I think also we should have known like in the first minute, like right when the clock hit one minute, there was an incident where you saw Ali Long drawing at the ref and then they showed McCall's or Boney sitting on the ground. And very clearly, those two came together. And, you know, those are good players, but they can clog up a game. And they were in, like, complete midseason form, like 58 seconds into the game. Maybe that was a sign that it wasn't going to be an open and free-flowing affair. Yeah, maybe. Um. As we wrap up, uh, you know, let me say one other thing. Um, the fact that Sky Blue got a point, the Rain got a point for Ben Stiddy, the Royals got a point for Harrington. Those are the two coaches making their league debuts. Uh, the Dash got a point. I don't feel like uh, Washington, um, sorry, Chicago and Portland are going to go pointless. So I'm kind of happy to feel like nobody's going to go home. Oh, and five here. I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing. Well, I'll tell you, and I know you guys talked about this earlier, but that, that Houston Utah game could not have been more of a tale of two halves. I mean, that was just wild. Uh, It's pretty rare to see a game flip 
that dramatically over 90 minutes. And so to see, I know Harrington's a first year coach and Clarkson's a second year coach, but both of those, you know, Clarkson obviously didn't have the best year last year. So for him to kind of come in and get something out of this and give his team a little bit of, you know, a little bit of momentum uh, is a good sign. And the game flipped back too, which was interesting. Right. So I was going to say before, do we have like a power ranking of how the teams looked? Because controversially, I might say that for about 30 to 40 minutes that the Dash might have looked better than any other team. Now, not for 90, but there was a stretch in there where I thought Mewis and Daly were controlling the game and they really looked sharp. Yeah, but you got to, I mean, if you put into that, there was 40 minutes where Houston didn't touch the ball. The the first 40 minutes minutes they were awful. So, um, yeah, that's that's got to be a measured take. Because the Courage didn't play great in their No, game. but they created a lot of chances, which is kind of their M.O., because when they decide to put their foot down, those chances all somehow end up in the back of the net, and the score's 4 nothing. Right, and and they got the job done, yeah. I, I, you know what, I don't even know the schedule of him, but if did the Courage play the Royals? Because I feel like that could that could get ugly. I haven't looked beyond tomorrow, to be honest with you. And if and if they don't, maybe they play them in the one eight game when we get to the quarterfinals. But um, anyway, some news and notes. Um, you know, the anthem, national anthem, has been a hot button topic. Uh, we're not going to get into that tonight. But Julie Ertz and Casey Short did put out a joint statement, uh, and then Rachel Hill put out one later. So you can find them both um, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, we will undoubtedly get into the anthem again a little bit later on. A lot of players came back from injury in the last couple days, but also Ali Watt, the first-round pick for the Courage, confirms torn ACL. So obviously her tournament is over, and she's probably touch-and-go, I guess, to make it back for what would be a traditional opening day in 2021. It's actually the second year in a row the Courage had their first-round pick tear. Her ACL, Haley Harbison, did it. Uh, in 2019, um, you know, part of the game, an unfortunate one, but uh, I think that's where we're at. Unless you have closing thoughts on match day two. No, I think that last game kind of spoke for itself. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. That'll do it for match day two. We'll be back in another day with match day three and some real good matchups with Portland and Chicago. And then uh, the spirit and courage spirit. A lot of people saying, Hey, spirit are, the main challenger to the courage. I don't know that I buy that yet, but we'll see when they, when they get out there together uh, on Wednesday. So we'll be back with more, but thank you again for John Halloran. I'm Dan Lawletter. You've been listening to the Equalizer podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. 